Hello, friend. This podcast has swears in it. So if you don't like swears, you should listen to a different podcast, not this one, because this one has the swears. Thank you. From the kitchen table, this is Gate Close Panic. Surprise, surprise, I have an arts degree with honours in gender studies. I met this week's guest, Nadine Levy, lecturing and tutoring in a course on work, consumption and the way we construct a sense of self during my undergrad. It was the best uni course I've ever taken and it ended up being the foundation of my thesis, which looked at the way in which childbirth intersects with women's sense of identity. In a moment of perfect full circle life tidiness for me, Nadine and I sat down to talk about her career and how becoming a mother has touched every part of her working life. Nadine is warm, approachable and simply spoken, but she's also whip smart and incredibly hardworking. When we spoke, she was in the latter part of her PhD, as well as caring for her first child and maintaining a teaching load. Coming from our discipline, it's no surprise that how Nadine speaks about coming to terms with a mother identity and learning to accept new limits is framed with such a keen awareness of how becoming a parent uniquely affects women. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with our usual housekeeping and I'll link to the references Nadine makes in our social posts, like the good sociology student that I am. Enjoy. Maybe just start by introducing yourself yeah. and then we'll go from there. Cool. So who I am, what I do? Or, yeah. 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 Okay. So my name is Nadine. Um, at the moment I work as a casual academic and I've got a one-year-old son um, and I'm researching in gender studies these days. Beautiful. Okay. So, um, if this makes sense to you, we'll just go sort of chronologically loosely through your working life. Yeah. So, I've, I've encouraged the other women that I've talked to to maybe just start from whenever you think the, the beginning of your serious thoughts about what you wanted to do for work was. So, whether that's like your late teens or whether that came a lot later mm-hmm. and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I always had an interest in social justice for as long as I can remember, always wanting to have conversations with my family about politics, even though they weren't politically inclined. Um, And um, I I suppose I always had a sense of fairness um, and I was quite an argumentative kid. Um, And then when I got along to to high school and I met quite a few um, women from um, multicultural backgrounds, I went to an all-girls school, um, I realised that um, there was a whole world out there and there were lots of injustices um, and I was particularly interested in the refugee cause when I was in high school Um, and so I got involved in Amnesty International then, I think I was about 13 or 14 then, and then then I got involved in um, some other, um, I think Afghani female activist kind of groups um, and uh, so I always, I suppose, had some bent towards community advocacy. Yeah. Um, though when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be an actor. That was like my <laughs> dream. Yeah. Um, and I took acting pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was at a crossroads when I finished school. I could either apply to go to Drama Centre or NIDA, which are the acting schools, and pursue that or um, apply to do law. And I made the kind of dry, responsible decision and decided to do law. Yeah. Um, and I can't quite remember why. Mm. 
in fact, I feel a little bit ashamed of it these days. I think now I probably would have chosen acting. I think I was scared, really. I was scared of not having a career, mm. not having money, um, and also not being able to support myself through mm -hmm. acting. And I also didn't really have an interest in film. I was more interested in theatre. Yeah. Um, so I suppose those two paths were in my mind when mm -hmm. I finished high school. Um, I'd also really been influenced by figures like Jermaine Greer. Um, I'd read all of her books by then and I felt um, as though her version of feminism really gelled with me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I began to read other kind of um, feminist books and so socialist books like um, George Bernard Shaw's um, got uh, every, what is it like, uh, every girl, every intelligent girl's guide to socialism, something like that. It's mm -hmm. a, a book from the 40s. And so I felt quite inspired by these new ideas, I suppose. Um, so I went into law and I didn't love it, but what I did really like was the intellectual challenge. Um, I got taught a new way of thinking, which really excited me. Um, and I liked the philosophical aspects of law, like um, jurisprudence and talking about things like pornography and rape and um, talking about female crimes, so aspects of law that were perhaps a bit more critical yeah. and gender-based. Um, and, yeah, so that was where I found myself. At the time, I was working... Um, all sorts of jobs. When I first left high school, I was working for a fibrous plasterboard lining um, <laughs> company <laughs> as a receptionist. Okay. Um, and then through that, so it was like a building company and I was doing like payroll and things. Through that, I met yeah. um, some of the union organisers there. Oh. Um, and then I met um, someone who was like a, um, he was an activist um, and he was very left-wing and he knew that I'd been involved in all sorts of social justice things um, in the past and he invited me to come and work for a construction union. So that was my part-time job while I was while I was in the law yeah, right. school. Law school, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I was doing like membership and admin and things yeah. with a view of like doing more industrial law stuff as time, time went on. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really fun. But it was it was it was really fun um, and interesting. It was a completely different culture, going from like an all girls school, um, and then being eighteen or nineteen and being in a really male heavy environment. Um, and uh, construction workers have their own brand of masculinity, which I rubbed up against a lot. Um, but I found the working class culture really um, gelled with me, and um, I, I liked how honest and real it was. Yeah. Um, and I also liked the sense of humour, you know, work was pretty funny yeah. every day. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like I was fighting for something really important because working class um, males do get a really a really bad deal, especially when it comes to, to safety. Um, and lots of the time, um, construction bosses were trying to rip them off in various ways. So mm. I felt pleased to, to land a job there. Mm. Mm. How long were you there for? I think I was there from 2004 to maybe 2007. Yeah. Okay, so did that take you out of law school? Were you still doing that when you finished law school? No, so I finished law school in 2007 or 2008, okay. um, and then I decided to take a job at SA Unions. So mm -hmm. um, I was doing bits of industrial law stuff at CFMU, that's what they're called. Yeah. Uh, and then I um, I got offered a job uh, like, 
being an industrial advocate at SA Unions mm -hmm. for a legal service called the Young Workers Legal Service. Mm -hmm. um, and it was basically a service run by young people for young people. Um, and um, it helped people who were in tricky work situations. Yeah. Um, and my job was to advocate for them in like various tribunals, mm -hmm. um, like the Equal Opportunity Commission um, and the Fair Work Commission, which used to be called the Industrial Court. Um, and also negotiate with their employers. So mm -hmm. it was a step up for me mm -hmm. um, that I could use my legal skills and my advocacy skills, or I was just develop, developing them really, um, so I could develop them there. And I felt like I had more um, autonomy because it was a service for young people. Yeah. yeah. What do you feel like your priorities were during that period in terms of what you were looking for from work? Well, I think I was a bit muddled actually because I was at the same time I was doing various other jobs mm -hmm. and I remember at various points during law school, you know, I had four jobs at once. I was doing, um, I was working in a bar, then I was, um, and that was just for fun and a bit of cash. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was also um, doing research work for a law academic and then I was doing interviewing work for um, a public health academic and my union work. So I was, I was just saying yes to everything. Um, and I, I, I tend to do that. I stopped doing it um, as I've gotten older, but certainly during that time I couldn't say no. Mm. Um, and I think I was interested in using my mind and my brain, um, and so work that was intellectual really appealed to me. Mm. Um, and I was interested, I suppose, in challenging myself and learning about the world mm. um, and like learning about... Um, what it's like to work with real people, to work with employers, employees, yeah. um, rather than just go through high school and then uni. Um, and I really enjoyed the, um, I suppose, the like juicy bits of those jobs, yeah. you know, particularly like fighting with bosses and, um, you know, putting forward a strong case for someone, yeah. you know. And so I felt like I could do that and I was pleased to do it. With the research work, I think I was... That's um, you know a path that I ended up taking, but I think at the time I was really interested in exploring ideas, mm. and I, I still am. Mm. Um, so that was on foot as well. So I, you know, again, I was at a bit of a crossroads with do I go down the, the ideas path or do I go down the you know the real practice path? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, before we get kind of too far ahead of ourselves, when you when you first started talking about working, yeah. you felt like you when you made that decision to go to law school instead of um, to go and pursue acting, yeah. part of that is kind of a fear of the instability. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about what you feel like the hurdles were and also the leg ups, if you feel like mm. you had any on the way to where you are now, just so mm -hmm. we don't skip over that stuff. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can say that, you know, if I had a better financial situation, I probably would have chosen acting. Yeah. I remember I was part of this agency at the time, an acting agency, and they told me that, you know, in order to stay on their books, I needed to do a, a course that was $450. I was 17 at the time without much money um, and, and didn't have a family that could, you know, yep. uh, fork out that amount of money. Mm -hmm. So um, I said no. Um, and, and I know that if you are in acting school, you are there, you know, nine to five, Monday yeah. to Friday, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I was out of home from a pretty early age, about 20 or so. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was, I suppose, a hurdle to, to doing it. Mm. I, don't, I don't have regrets now. I can't see myself as an actor now. Um, but um, 
but certainly at the time that was the case. The, the flexibility of law school um, meant that I was only here two days a week or so, mm-hmm. so I was able to work. And I really did have a desire to be actually in the workforce like yeah. as soon as I left school, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that choice, or you know, whether it was conscious or not, but that choice to prioritise something that would mean that you could be financially independent. Mm-hmm. Did that just come from you, do you think, or was that kind of part of your family culture? Yeah, um, I mean, hmm, it's a hard one. I think I always had a desire to be independent. Yeah. And I, I've never been in a situation where, you know, I've, I've never been in a situation where I can be dependent because, you know, it's not like I come from a wealthy family. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know what that would feel like. No. But I, I know that I've certainly been driven by fear around money mm. um, and feeling like, you know, what happens if I don't get the next contract or what happens yeah. if I don't get work, which is kind of ironic because I've chosen to be in a casual precarious situation now yeah. um, and I earn much less than my peers yeah. um, as a result of it. So, like, it is ironic that I'm here now, but um, I can remember in my law school days, even when working... Um, you know, two or three days a week, I'd often be get, getting paid $300. And that was, you know, that was covering my rent and all my other expenses and feeling at times like, wow, I've got zero in the bank and what do I do, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's always been in the back of my mind. So yeah. luckily I haven't, you know, ever been in a situation where I've had no work at all. So Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, well, let's press on a little bit from where we were then. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're out of law school and um, working. Yeah. Do you want to just go from there? Yeah. So, um, so I'm having a, a pretty good time at the Young Workers Legal Service, mm-hmm. um, and it's like a, a service run by volunteers mainly. So yeah. I get to um, spend a lot of time with law students, mm-hmm. um, and I suppose at that point I really liked mentoring. I realised that that was something I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and um, the opportunity came up for me to step into the director role of, of that service. So I did that. And that involved much more like public advocacy. So I was doing more like media and um, and showing up at various strategic meetings and being on boards and things like that, which was which was good. I enjoyed that. Um, and then I did a lot of kind of management and supervision of the volunteers, so settling their work and making sure they were on the right track when they related to clients and things. Um, and um, a lot of the the work um, was basically supporting people who are you know, having a time because of work lots of bullying lots of sexual harassment and at the time my colleague and I were particularly interested in sexual harassment Mm -hmm. um, which you know is all the rage these days but back like I don't know what in um, 10 years ago or less than 10 years ago people weren't talking about it as much yeah but we could see it was a real issue and we knew it was a gendered issue and so um, we sought out some funding and did some projects Mm -hmm. um, on sexual harassment one through Safe Work SA and another through the Working Women's Centre um, and wrote a few papers. And I suppose at that point I, I got a bit of a taste for that type of advocacy mm-hmm. and um, how ideas can make a difference. So that was that was good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, I started to feel a bit like I'd heard the same story over and over at that workplace. So... Um, I feel like I felt like you know I'd heard hundreds of tales of unfair dismissal, sexual harassment, underpayments, bullying, exploitation, um, that I was a bit saturated, and I realised I, I needed to do something else. Yeah. 
and I wasn't feeling, I was feeling challenged and inspired for the first three or so years, but after that I felt like, okay, the time has come for me to, to move on yeah. um, and to do something that, you know, broadens my horizons a bit. And so I knew I didn't want to be there anymore. Um, and so I kept asking myself what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea at that time. One thing that helped was that I'd ask myself before bed, what do I want to do? And then I'd wake up the next morning and I'd have a different answer. Yeah. And and I kind of felt like I was asking my soul, like, what do, what do you want to do with your life? Yeah. And I had all sorts of responses. One of them was... Um, go and do a master's in Indigenous Studies at UniSA because I was really um, passionate about Indigenous rights, Astolem. Um, and then um, another was get more involved in not-for-profit sector, mm -hmm. um, perhaps even in like feminist organisations and try and um, work my way up to a kind of leadership position in that way. Mm -hmm. And then the final thing I had in my mind was do a PhD, but I kept dismissing that because I thought, ah, oh, it's something I'll do when I'm 36 like in my mid-30s, I don't want to do it when I'm in my like, yeah. 20s okay. um, because I don't know why I thought that. Maybe I thought, you know, it's something I want to do with my life ultimately, but mm -hmm. now I'm like, you know, enjoying my working life and yeah, I don't know. And then I then eventually after asking myself over and over again, the same response kept coming up, which was, if you want to do a PhD, just do it just now. Just do it now, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I quit my job. And um, I'd done in, honours in gender studies in between somewhere along the, the, the way. I've forgotten when <laughs> that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did it over like part time, so it was like okay. Yeah, it was quite relaxed. Yeah, and mm, and so then I then I thought I'll do it, and so yeah, applied to do it and left my job, which was pretty sad in a lot of ways because I'd been involved in the union movement for a long time, mm. and I felt like they were my people. Mm. I felt in some ways like I was a bit of a heretic, like jumping off to academia, yeah. some elitist pursuit and, you know, not making a difference in the world, just mm. kind of staring at my navel. You know, I had those fears and doubts. Yeah. And But I knew at the same time I needed to be true to myself about what I wanted. Mm. So I did that. Yeah. yeah, and I found the first year, the transition to PhD life really difficult. Yeah. Mm. I think, um, you know, one of the first few days I got here, you know, I got an office um, and I had a phone and email and uh, I was so used to being called every five minutes and, like, multitasking and hearing mm -hmm. my email ring all day and kind of putting out fires. Yeah. And I was sitting at my desk for eight hours without anyone contacting me and I felt profoundly useless. And I also felt really lonely because yeah. um, the culture here is very different in academia. So you walk down the corridor and people might not say hello. Um, whereas in a union office, you know, they were very much involved in your day-to-day -day life and your business and you'd be having, like, coffees all day and, yeah. you know, standing at the water cooler chatting away. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it was very communal. Yeah. Um, and this got very isolated and I didn't know anyone. And I felt like, can't they see me, you know? Like, I'm me, you know, like, I, I'm Nadine, but no one knew me, you know. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, that was weird. How do you learn to get around something like that? Because that's a huge adjustment. Yeah. I think mind. it was just time in the end. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and then I got attached to the space and the culture here, and I yeah, think okay. I find it weird going back into an environment like that. Yeah. So I felt lonely, and I just kind of um, soldiered on, and I met a few people who were in a similar situation to me doing the PhD, so... 
develop some good close friendships as well. Yeah, yeah. which makes a difference. Yeah. And then after that first year, how was it? Good. I mean, that, that's when I started to take on a lot of teaching. Yeah. Um, and um, so that made me feel useful again. And it also allowed me to use some of those mentoring skills with my students. Mm. Um, and I was so used to being around students at um, the legal service that it felt natural for me to be teaching. Mm. While I was at the legal service, I also like um, taught in law. And so um, I had some experience in in teaching before. So that was great and I really liked it. I really liked teaching in law and then I liked teaching in gender studies. Um, but it meant that you know I was taking way more work than what I could handle and my PhD was getting neglected because that was just my, that's my nature to yeah. do that. And to feel like that instant gratification of like working is very different to writing a thesis. Yeah and it feels like the more pressing thing I suppose if other people are involved in it directly. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, you took time off partway through your PhD, didn't you? Yeah. Because you had a baby. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, but I took time off before then oh, as well. Oh, did you? So okay. I've taken about two years off all up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I took a year, a year off to teach. Yeah. Um, okay. Which was great. That was like a, a lectureship that I got here, which wasn't casual. Um, it was like a contract-based lectureship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had the opportunity to kind of develop a course and really get my head into it. Um, and it was a course I was completely unfamiliar with and I didn't have any idea any idea about you know how I was going to do it. Yeah. So I was here four days a week um, getting across the material and yeah. trying to, I suppose, present a creative course. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so I had that time off and then I, and I, I did a lot of field work as well, which blew out a bit mm-hmm. um, in the States and then in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was glad to do all that before I had a baby because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it required a lot of travel. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yes, and then I, then I had a baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, what oh, – just <laughs> – this is going to be such a frustrating thing to be asked, but um, what is your PhD about yeah. you're looking at? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I'm looking at the subjective lives of women who join alternative community. Um, and so I'm interested – really in their experience of nature, their bodies, their relationships and the stories they tell about themselves mm-hmm. um, and their transition from dominant mainstream society to alternative community. Mm-hmm. And the communities I've looked at are um, spiritual ones, so a Buddhist one, a Christian one, um, ecological ones um, and what we call communes, so more yeah. like hippie, hippie yeah. communities. Um, and um, these communities are mainly like progressive, egalitarian, um, and uh, they endeavour to create, I suppose, a, an alternative society, like mm-hmm. a microcosm yeah. um, that um, that represents something different to dominant values. Um, so, yeah, that's what my PhD is looking at. Wow, so you've spanned a few different social cultures in the last few years, uh, then, going yeah. from a union to here to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. right. And each community had a very specific culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. So really, that broadened my horizons in a big way, particularly in America. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. Um, okay. So, have you submitted? No. How's the last stretch? <laughs> I keep saying it's the last stretch, and then it's you know I've done my. It's a bit like a defence, or we call it a pre-submission review which is the thing you do to an academic panel before you submit. Mm-hmm. I've done it three times. <laughs> so, for three years. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so, you know, I've just kind of let go of, of finishing at a certain time. I've yeah. been enrolled since 2012. But, you know, as I said, I have taken years off. Yeah. And I'm still actually living in Canada, which is fine. Mm. Yeah, and so the final stretch is happening at the moment and it's not ideal because I have got a baby. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm doing the best I can and doing bits and bobs and it is, it's coming together, you know. Yeah. 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 And you've got a job as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so still teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and this semester um, I taught or I lectured in a course. The semester before that I taught as a tutor in two courses mm-hmm. um, and I came back to teach when my son was 10, 10 weeks old. So wow. quite early on. Early, mm-hmm. yeah. So just um, a bit of the sort of nitty-gritty stuff... In terms of money, which we've already touched on a little bit, mm-hmm. do you feel like what you're doing now, what you're aiming towards doing is going to kind of get you what you need? Mm. Well, you know, I don't really care about money um, and I never have. I've, I've always wanted a sense of security, so I've wanted to cover my rent and my food and, you know, buy the odd dress yeah. um, and perhaps go away once every two years or so overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I don't have any aspirations when it comes to buying a house or okay. buying, I don't know, something else that people buy. That's big, yeah. yeah. You know, a nice car or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so um, uh, money in that way doesn't concern me, but... What does concern me, I suppose, is having, you know, a certain amount, so say like $30,000 a year, um, that I know will cover all of those expenses and support my son who mm. will be in childcare next year. Yeah. And so I suppose my anxiety is around getting, you know, enough casual work to be able to cover that. If I've got like a permanent um, academic position, sometimes they're like 100000 I don't think I'd know what to do with the money. So in some ways I'm a bit resistant to, to that because yeah. I've never had middle class ideals around how I live. I'd like to live minimally if I can. So yeah, there'd be a bit of cognitive dissonance yeah. happening there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I probably if I you know, if I did get a job like that I'd be doing it because I love the job. Yeah. Um, and it felt right, not because of the money. Mm. So it, it feels like a responsibility earning a huge amount of money it, that yeah. I have. Once, once, kind of, you have submitted, uh, and maybe just looking forward to kind of an indefinite, soon period. Mm. What do you want to do? What do you want to change, if anything? Uh-huh. What do you want to do next? Yeah, good question. So, um, I guess I'd like to have a second baby, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know when I'd like to do that. It might be in, you know, probably in three or four years' time. Okay. Not, not immediately. Mm. Um, because I, I feel like my baby's too young and also um, I'd like to get some financial stability before I do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to keep working on my work. So, you know, I really love my research and I'd like to make my pitch into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get paid to do that, so I'd be doing that on the side. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to keep teaching if that's going to bring in the money. Um, it doesn't bring in a whole lot of money because you are only teaching for 22 weeks of the full year yeah. and also um, you know you're teaching you're, you're getting paid by the hour rather than even yeah. if you're here for an eight hour day if you've only done you know four hours of teaching you're just paid for those, those four hours okay so it's, it's a bit of a tricky path and um, 
most universities are casualised these days. Right. I could apply for a permanent job. Um, I'm not sure how many will come up in the next few years because I, I work in a very niche area. And I also feel a bit scared about working full-time, you know, or beyond full-time as a, an academic and having a young child or young children. Yeah. Um, and that's because I think someone was telling me about this book, um, A Thousand Days, or The First Thousand Days, um, and it's about what babies need from yeah. when they're conceived to, um, to the first thousand days. Mm. And I've really felt, even though I'm a feminist and... I believe that you know women should be able to participate in the workforce while they while they're childbearing or while they've got a baby. Um, I still feel like my body is not the body of a full time worker, mm-hmm. um, and that's because I'm still breastfeeding um, and I'm severely sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Like often I only get three or four hours a night, and you know the requirement to think intellectually, to teach, and to lecture, and then to write articles um, is basically impossible when you're when you're sleeping yeah. three or four hours a night and it's so um, interrupted the sleep. Yeah. Um, and also I don't want to get home at seven o'clock, you know, and not see my kid all, all day. So yeah. um, you know, I don't know if I have the body of a full time worker yet and I'm not sure when that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the sense that um, you know, when they're two or three things start to change. But, you know, then if I'm planning another baby, you know, I'm basically living this life as a mother as much as I have resisted against that and you know I don't really like that label and all of that you know I've had a lot of changes you know since yeah. having them so mm. and I can't rely on my mind like I used to be able to and I think you know you've probably heard of Barbara Pocock um, in the courses you've done um, and she talks about caring being cyclical and work being linear and so you know, often you need eight hours sleep to do eight hours of work, mm-hmm. um, and that's how our society is structured. Um, but if you've got a, a kid and they're waking up every two hours, you know, the work you're doing is cyclical and it doesn't fit with, you know, dominant structures. Yeah. So you can do ten minutes of writing here and there, but you certainly can't sit at a computer for eight hours yeah. having, you know, that experience at home. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so, find that tricky. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the next. For instance, if you have another baby, mm. six or so years mm. will be kind of moving around what you're capable of. Exactly. Yeah. And like trying to be honest with myself about what I'm capable of. Yeah. I don't feel like I was completely honest with myself when I came back to work um, and I was expecting much more from my, myself and mm. I wanted to just keep beelining um, forward in the way that I had when I was pregnant, which was to work hard and to you know, to, to be engaged intellectually continually and, you know, which was thrilling and I love it, but it just wasn't what I wasn't capable of doing it and I'm still not capable of doing it. Yeah. Cognitively, I'm much slower. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is there anything that you feel like I have missed? Mm. Anything kind of pertinent in your mm. life or your work that you feel like we haven't talked about? Well, I suppose mm, one thing that I would say is that, I, you know, if I died tomorrow, I think I'd feel good about my decisions. I haven't made decisions based on money, which has been good, um, or material things. Um, and I have, I've done things that feel right to me um, rather than things that I'm forced to do. You know, I could have stayed in the law and, and forged like a, a legal career or 
um, gone into corporate or something like that, but um, that never felt right to me. So, you know, even though doing the PhD felt really risky and it, and it was more like in the same vein as doing acting rather than law, like it was, yeah. it was kind of like a bit risky and scary um, and financially irresponsible. Um, because I've loved it, I feel like I've gotten um, a lot of opportunities along the way and I feel like a sense of hopeful optimism about the future. I don't feel that scared about the future. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I've just learned through the years that if you love something, generally it will work out, you know, and I think that's something I have to remind myself, particularly when I feel insecure and I think institutions like this which are precarious and insecure and casualised often make you feel worried um, about not being able to get a job ultimately. Mm. Um, but, you know, I just have to remind myself that, you know, you know, good things will come because I'm very interested in the area and, you know, just have to be helpful. And, and you know, it hasn't let me down in the past. So, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks. <laughs> As usual, if you have any questions or suggestions, just reach out to us on our social. And, of course, like and follow us in all the right places. I've been Saren Bell. This has been Gate Close Panic. I'll see you next Friday. Bye.